Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. So last week, we were introduced to a new character in the book of Exodus, this man that most of us are familiar with, at least a little bit, by the name of Moses. And we saw God appearing to Moses through the burning bush and then commissioning him to go back to Egypt. And not only go, but to to speak to Pharaoh, to lead his people out of Egypt. And we said in the text, very specifically, God says, lead my people out so that they may go and worship me and and to live and worship me in a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses then goes on to obey the Lord. He does go back to Egypt, walks very boldly right up to Pharaoh, tells him exactly what God says to let my people go so they can worship me. And Pharaoh's kind of like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. Pharaoh is nothing like that at all, right? We're all familiar with this story. We've all watched the Prince of Egypt. We've all watched the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston back in the day. Pharaoh's not happy about this. Actually, he says something, I believe, that will come back to haunt him in chapter 5. We'll talk about that in a moment. So God then, just as he said that he would would do to Abraham... He begins to judge these people, to judge the nation of Egypt, to judge Pharaoh. And Pharaoh oppresses the Israelites even more, makes it much more difficult on them. And so God unleashes this series of ten plagues on the Egyptians, each one to be a judgment of of them, but also a judgment of their false pagan gods. And through this whole process, I mean... Put yourself in Pharaoh's shoes for just a moment. You would think that if if this God, this one God who says, I'm going to do this to you if you don't let my people go, and as you see it actually happening, these miraculous things, you would think logically, maybe I should listen to this God and, and do what he says. But instead, Pharaoh's heart is heartened throughout this whole process. And I think eventually this would become his demise. Because when you go through things, we've said this before, right? When things happen, and they do, things will happen. You can get better or you can get bitter. Pharaoh got bitterer and bitterer and it eventually destroyed him. So with his tenth and final plague, God was about to set his people free and lead them out where they could worship him and live with him uh, from then on. So look at uh, Exodus chapter 12, if you would. That's where we want to pick up this morning. And if you're doing your reading, if you're following along in the reading plan, and I encourage you, even if you're not in a D group, follow along in the reading plan as we go through the Word together this year. And you'll be reading Exodus chapter 12 this week. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. 
You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roast it over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning you must burn. And here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. And verse 13 says, The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now we, we picked up here this week to preach from this passage because the Passover is such a crucial moment in the biblical narrative. And like most of the other passages that we've covered so far, this passage also points forward to Jesus. And it's the first festival, the first one that God institutes in the Bible. And through it, He's going to do three things. One, He's going to judge the Egyptians, right? He's going to save and deliver His people. But thirdly, He's going to teach every generation from then on out just how God does things, how God Operates And through this passage, there's three things that God did, three very important things that are so relevant for us today. And the first is that God designed the church family. Now, I know you're wondering, how did you get anything about church from this passage in Exodus chapter 12? I believe that the church is supposed to be like a family. I believe God designed it that way. To be a family that is made up of other families. You look around this room this morning and it's awesome to see families seated together. You know, And, and all together we make up the church family. The, this passage is the first time in the Bible that the nation of Israel is referred to as a community or an assembly. Some translations will even call it a congregation, almost like a church. And it is the Old Testament concept for the church or a particular group of people who are assembled together and, and they're called God's people. Translate that forward to the church. And you, you think about what God's really doing here. We've talked about how He's called these people out how he's making and creating himself a nation. Yes, he's doing that. But this nation, remember, this nation's actually a family. These are all the sons and the children and the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of this one man we talked about named Jacob. And God's big family now is comprised of all these smaller families. And while he's going to deliver a nation out of the nation of Egypt, he's going to do so by home and by family. And he tells them every family or every household is supposed to take a lamb for their home and they're supposed to prepare it a very specific way. Now, now just imagine this scene. You can imagine each family 
going through the process and, and doing this and then painting the blood on the doorposts of their homes and, and then gathering around the fire, gathering around maybe the table that night and eating together. I think this is the basis for how God wanted to be worshipped, that every family gathered together in obedience to God, worshipping Him in the, in the way that He describes with, think about this, the lamb as the centerpiece of that worship. Now, here's what's amazing about God's family. You read through this and you realize nobody gets left out of this, right? If your household or your family is too small for the lamb because the lamb was never too small for the family, then you get to go to the neighbor's house and be part of their family and join together in a worship of God with them as the family of God. So the family, think about how important this is. The family is the building block of society. It's the building block of the church. Again, look around at the families making up this church. And we wonder, why does the enemy try so hard to destroy the family? To, to, and not even the family, but to destroy even the concept of a biblical family. It's because if he can destroy the idea of the family, then he can, and how a family is supposed to look, to look and, and work and function together and love one another and how they're supposed to bring others into this family. If he can get rid of all of that, he can, one, destroy the society, but also, more importantly, he can destroy the church. There's an old saying that says that, that no nation is stronger than the families of that nation. I think we could also say that no church is stronger than the families of that church. Thank God for our family. Amen. Thank God for allowing us the privilege to be part of this wonderful family made up of crazy aunts and uncles and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and children. And it's such a beautiful thing. And it's a privilege, especially to be part of the family here at FBC. But notice the second lesson God gives us. He demonstrated that he alone is God. And so God gives very, very specific instructions to Jacob's children and grandchildren, to the nation of Israel, how they're supposed to paint the blood of the lamb on the outside of their home so that when he passes by, he'll pass over that family and not judge them. And he told them specifically, roast this lamb over fire. Don't boil it. Put it roasted over fire. Make sure that it's, it's pure. Uh, eat it with unleavened bread because, again, leaven represents sin and, and leaven would take time. But you're supposed to eat this in a hurry and be ready to go because when I call you out of this dark, sinful place called Egypt. You need to be ready to get out of here and not look back. And then God tells him all these things and he says, do this, but remember, I'm the Lord. I, as the literal translation is, I am Yahweh. There's no other. I'm going to execute judgments, not just against these Egyptians, but against all the gods of Egypt. You see, God wasn't just freeing his people. That's, that's part of the perk here. But God wasn't just doing that. He wasn't just judging Pharaoh. He wasn't just judging the other Egyptians. He, he said, I'm going to judge all these false gods that these Egyptians have worshipped all these years. And if you, if you look into this, and I encourage you to come back on Sunday nights for a little while because we're going to talk about some of this stuff that went on in Egypt. The Egyptians revered and worshipped many different gods, including many different animals. For example, cattle. 
And what did God do to the Egyptians' cattle in the fifth plague? He killed all the cattle that the Egyptians had and left the cattle of the Israelites. Rams were another animal that they revered and worshipped. And here God has the Israelites kill thousands upon thousands of lambs right in front of the Egyptians. Just a slap in the face. And I love it when God does that. And many false gods required that, that their followers... Uh, sacrifice their firstborn to them. And this was something that some of the Egyptians would do. And, and now he's about to take their firstborn from them, something so important, something they, they loved, something that perpetuated them into the future, just to prove that he alone was God. You see, back in Exodus chapter 5, when I said Moses and Aaron walked up to Pharaoh, and they, and they tell him just exactly what God said to tell him. They said, look, Yahweh... The God of Israel says, let my people go so that I can worship them. And if Pharaoh says this, tragically, he says, who is Yahweh? He says, I do not know Yahweh that I should obey Him. And now God here gives His people instructions to follow, these things that they must obey in faith. And He tells them, I'm going to judge these false gods. And He says, I, I am Yahweh. Pharaoh wants to know, it's me. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am that I am. There is no other. And you go through Scripture, and from this point on, throughout the law in the Old Testament, God will just time and time again remind His people of this. That there is no other God. He'll give them a set of instructions. He'll say, do this, don't do this. And each time He says, I am Yahweh. Matter of fact, over 150 times throughout the Old Testament, he'll repeat those very words. I am the Lord. Leviticus 11:44 says, For I am Yahweh, your God. So consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Verse 45, he says, For I am Yahweh, the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So be holy, because I am holy. Leviticus 18:4 says, You are to practice the ordinances and my, my statutes and, and keep them by following them, for I am Yahweh. Your God, and time and time and time again, over and over again, God reminds His people He is a jealous God, and He has every right to be so. And here's what the, the, the most amazing thing to me is about all this. We realize there's, there's one true living God. There's one creator, one, one maker, and he's, he's sovereign over all these things, and even over all these false gods. And here's what's amazing about that. He wants you to be part of His family. This God, this one true living God wants a relationship with you. He wants to deliver you from your own Egypt, whatever that is, deliver you from your sin and your past and call you His child. Now, that takes us to this last thing. And that's that God did deliver. And He delivered through the blood of the Lamb. Passover is such a beautiful picture of God demonstrating His mercy and His grace and then people responding to that in faith. Verse 13, let me read it again for you. It says, The blood on the houses where you're staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. It's going to be a sign on you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, the blood, he says, it's going to be a mark. 
I'm marking you. I'm putting a sign on you. And when I see this mark, when I see the blood of the lamb, I'm not going to judge you. Now, you deserve to be judged just like every Egyptian here, but I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to pass over you because I see the blood. And what's amazing is that there was no other prerequisite here for the salvation that took place that night. God didn't go into each home and examine each person. He didn't air out all their dirty laundry to determine if this one's good enough and this one's good enough to be saved or not. He didn't go through this long list of sins that they all had and and compare that to all the good that maybe they've done in their lives. No, as he went through the land of Egypt that night, what did he do? He simply looked for the blood of the Lamb. Some people believe the Passover doesn't point to Jesus, but the New Testament says otherwise. The Apostle Paul clearly says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And you see these lambs that they slaughtered that night, the thousands of them, they were simply substitutes. You see, again, they deserve to be judged. They deserve God's punishment. But these lambs that night took the place of the people. And and within those homes and those families, they became the substitute lamb. Likewise, Jesus became our substitute lamb. He took our place on the cross. He bore our sin and bore God's judgment for us on the cross. Here's what Hebrews chapter 9 says. That He, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Notice this. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, verse 14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. You see, we deserve, we do, this is the hard truth, we deserve the punishment that Jesus took. It should have been our cross. It should have been our death. It should have been our blood that was shed that day 2,000 years ago because our, God sees our sin, folks. And it's filthy. And it's shameful. And it breaks God's heart. And, and, and honestly, it stirs up His wrath. But here's the good news in that. The gospel news that we've been talking about on Wednesday night is that the Lamb of God took our place. As John says, the Lamb of God was slain to take away the sins of the world. And because of the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary, just like in that first Passover with Moses and the children of Israel, when you place your faith in the Lamb, when God looks at you, you don't see that sin anymore. He doesn't see all the wrong things that you've done. He doesn't see somebody that deserves his punishment. All he sees is the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. There was a man that was in a church he used to pastor. And if I preached a good fiery sermon, he'd come by, shake my hand a little way out, and he'd say, good sermon, brother. And he'd be gone. If I preached an okay message, which was most days, honestly, he'd come by and he'd take me by the hand and he'd look me in the eye and he'd say, it's still the blood. Just a reminder It's still the blood. And Brother Steve, if you're getting to watch this morning, 
Uh, this one's for you, buddy, because it's about the blood. You see, there was nothing else that was going to save the Israelites that night. At this point, it didn't matter that they were Jacob's descendants. It didn't matter what their lineage was. It didn't matter their family name. Their good works weren't going to save them. Their great leader, Moses, was not going to save them. Only the blood of the Lamb was going to save them and spare them from the wrath of God that they too deserved. And folks, listen, the same is true today just as it was way back then. Coming to church, it's a great thing to do, but it's not going to save your soul. Doing good things, putting your name on a church roll, it's not going to save you. Giving away all your money and trying to do all these good deeds and living a good life, it's not going to save you. You will be saved by the blood of the Lamb or you will not be saved at all. It makes me think about an old song that most of us are familiar with. And this is some good theology here, folks. Penned many years ago. Says, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. And now by this I'll overcome. And now by this I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory. This I sing all my praise. For this I bring nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount, I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are you saved this morning? <laughs> when God looks at you and He sees your life, does He see all the messes that you made, the sins that you've committed? Or does He see the blood of Jesus? If you're not saved today, you can be by placing your faith in Him and in that blood. It's that simple. And He'll take you in and He will make you part of His family, spare you from any judgment that you deserve, and one day let you eat from His table in heaven. Isn't that a good deal? Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, today we thank You so much. Thank You, Lord, for that precious blood that was shed for us 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. Lord, the blood that sealed the new covenant that gave us a right to be called the children of God. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that's never experienced that salvation that was purchased in the blood of Jesus. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's been thinking about Baptism, and they need to commit to that first step of obedience this morning. Maybe there's someone here that needs to officially be part of the family, God, and join First Baptist Church in Barberville and start serving you through this church. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. 
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for providing a way through Christ when we had no other way. Lord, we pray now that you would move in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if there's a decision you need to make, if you need to be saved this morning, why don't you come and share that with your church family. If you just want to come and pray, this altar's open. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.